Welcome to another inspiring message from Milestone Church in Keller, Texas. Once again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you watching online. Well, we're about six weeks into our new building, and what an exciting time it's been. Honestly, we prayed about it. We looked forward to the day when we would be in here, and now having been in here for a few weeks, as we catch our breath, we reflect on what God's done. He's done incredible things. In just these six weeks, we've seen about 1,500 new people come into the environment. We've seen the largest baptism services we've ever had. We've seen our largest Discovery 101. Every week, people are giving their lives to Christ. People are coming to church for the very first time. And I got to tell you, as a follower of Christ, that's a big deal. And I'm so excited. And it's such a privilege. If that's you, if you've joined us, we're not going to call you out. We're not going to embarrass you. But we want you to know we are so excited with what God's doing in your life. You know, you come to a moment like this and you begin to just get captured in your heart by what God's doing in your life. And it's exciting and it's thrilling and you think, well, this is awesome, but I don't really know what to do next. If you're in that group, we want to help you this weekend. Maybe you're in another group. I know many of you, hundreds and hundreds of you have been serving and giving of your time and you've been up here serving for single mom's dinners and working in the parking lot and working in the children's ministry and you knew what was going to happen in this environment so you said, I want to be a part of what God's doing. So we honor you. We honor the service you've made. We honor the way that you've served your community and served those who are coming into a relationship with God. But in many cases, we work really hard and we serve for a while and then we come to a place where we go, okay, that was awesome, but what do I do now? Where do I go from here? It's amazing how, as I look at these graduates, as I think about my own life, it's so easy in our lives to live from event to event, to live from deadline to deadline. Looking at the graduating students, I remember back to being in college or maybe working on a project. I don't know if you can relate to this. But it's so easy to get to a place in our lives where we just think, if I could just get to this point, we do it as a family. We look at our family calendar. There's so many things on that calendar. We're thinking, okay, what's the next big thing we're all waiting to do? And then we do the next thing and the next thing. And one day you look up and you go, what did we accomplish? And where are we supposed to be going next? It's easy to feel so busy without a sense of where we're going. The good news is, the Bible understands this challenge, this very real challenge that you and I face, and it has wisdom for us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We'll put it on the screen. I'll read it to you. It's in the service guide that you got on the way in. You know, I did ministry for quite a few years before I went to seminary, and I did seminary while I was doing ministry, and I appreciated that because I felt like I had a context for what I was learning. But maybe my all-time favorite class it's going to surprise you. The name of this class was Organizational Dynamics. Now you say, that sounds really boring. What does that have to do with Jesus? Well, it turns out it has a lot to do with how we serve and honor Jesus. Here's what I learned in this class. The, the life-altering message, this, this person who taught this, this PhD consultant, here's what they said. They said, in ministry is like life. It's so easy to do a bunch of things and then look up and go, what do we really have to show for all the energy that we put out. And they taught us this little technical term, this phrase that I've never forgotten. It's called outcome-based objectives. Here's what it simply means. 
if you really want to accomplish things in life, if you want your life to not just be full of activity and deadlines, but accomplishment and purpose, you have to start with the end in mind. You have to figure out, this is where I'm trying to go, and then you work backwards. We do this in our lives. This spring, for the first time ever, I ran a half marathon, mainly because I have friends who talked me into it and said things like, I bet you can't do it, and that's a good way to trap me if you're ever trying to trap me into doing something. So for about five weeks in a row, I ran more than I'd ever run in my life. But let me tell you, once I did the half marathon, which by the way, I exceeded my goal, I was a little surprised and impressed with myself. I was like, man, that's powerful. I should do another one. Not, not soon, but someday I'll do another one. And I stopped running because what was really the point to run? And then you get back out to run and you realize in your 40s, you lose what you gained really fast. I was thinking about this again. A couple weeks ago, I took my daughter on some college visits. Here's the thing about college. The way they sell students on college is totally different on the way they sell parents. We were at these great elite universities. We're on these tours. We're walking around. They were talking to Isabel. They're like, Isabel, this will be the time of your life. They're like, we want to show you a tour. I was like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Let's see what they got. So they're walking. So where do we go? We go to the, the, the dorm, and then we go to the dining hall. They're like, Isabel, look, there are 17 different stations of culinary experts and chefs. They can give you fusion. I was like, this is a long way from my cafeteria. We called our cafeteria the evil kitchen, right? Like, they have like five-star trained chefs doing fusion work. And they're like, Isabel, look at this. This is amazing. There are 174 gluten-free options. You could have anything that you see on Food Network. We'll make it for you. She's like, Dad, this is amazing. Then they're like, Isabel, look at the gym. This is incredible. Isabel, look at this space in your dorm. We call this our, our lounge area. This is our extended. We have an oxygen bar. We have a hangout area. We have a place to binge watch. She's like, Dad, I could live here. Then I started to realize, now I know why it takes students eight years to graduate. They don't want to leave. They're like, this is amazing. I'm over here going, when are we going to see the library? I don't care about food options. I want her to get a J-O-B. What are they selling her on? They're selling her on the experience. They're selling around, this is a place to hang out, this is a place to go. And really, it's so easy to go. A lot of young people, it's easy. I remember those days as a college student. You think, man, I did it, I graduated. I'm just gonna try to graduate. And if I graduate, then the job I want, the life I want, the career I want, it'll all be laid out there for me. But unfortunately, life doesn't work like that. You gotta start with the end in mind and work backwards. The truth is, it works in every area of our life. If you wanna get right in your finances, you don't think about what's the next, I want, to live, I want this and I want this, I want this. You think, where's a picture of financial security and stability I want to be? Then you work backwards in a dating relationship. If your goal is just to meet a bunch of people and have some fun dates, you're going to structure the way you treat other people differently than if you say, God, my goal is to find someone, to commit to them, to, ser to serve them, to love them into the late years of my life and to say, God, I honored that person with my whole heart and I honored you by the way I love them. You're gonna approach it totally differently. 
how we approach things, where we're ultimately going, in so many ways determines the steps that we take to get there. Now let's look here in Colossians chapter 2. I love the fact that the entire Bible is filled this way. The Bible says that when God created the heavens and the earth, that the lamb was slain before the foundations of the earth. What does that mean? The, the cross, this moment that we celebrate, it wasn't something God, it wasn't an ad lib, it wasn't a kind of an adjustment along the way. God knew the cross was coming before he created mankind. Jesus didn't make it up as he went along. He didn't live deadline to deadline, moment to moment. The moment he understood who God created him to be, he saw the cross and lived backwards. The Bible said he fixed his face like flint, like a stone. He knew where he was going and every decision and choice he made worked backwards. Because of that, he looked at his father and he said, it's finished. I've done what you called me to do. In the same way in our lives, if we want to accomplish what God has for us, if we want to look and say, I didn't just start well, God, but I finished well, we've got to work backwards. I love this story of Colossians. I don't know if you know this. I learned this really for the first week. I've preached this passage. I've studied this book for a long time. But this week I learned for the first time, when you, when you see a book like Colossians there in the New Testament, you, you see it there, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you're ever wondering how to keep those in order, I love God eats popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians. That's a little help. That's just extra on the side. Here's the thing about Colossians. Philippi, which is where we get Philippians, Rome, where we get Romans, these Ephesians, Ephesus, those were big cities. Colossians, the Colossae, the city of Colossae, it wasn't a big city, it was a small town. And here's what Bible scholars think happened. There was a guy, one guy named Epaphras, who was in uh, Ephesus when Paul was preaching there. And Paul began to preach about Jesus and how he came to set people free. And, and it, you could be new and God had a purpose and a plan for your life and you don't earn it by your good works. And if you think about his letter to Ephesus and the Ephesians, it's, it, I love it, 2, 8, 9, and 10 says this, that it's by grace that we've been saved, not through our own acts, not through our own deeds that we would boast about those things. And Epaphras was a real guy who heard this message. And it changed his life. So he went home and he started telling his friends and his neighbors and his coworkers. Pretty much, pretty soon, they all gave their lives to Christ. And now, out of those relationships, a church emerged. And like so often happened, they were excited and it was thrilling, but they got to a point where, what do we do next? And they had all these weird ideas. And Paul started to hear about the strange ideas. So he said, guys, don't lose sight of where we're trying to go. So he writes them this letter. I love that the Bible even though it's thousands of years old, written to a different culture, speaks so clearly to where you and I live on a daily basis. Paul's heart for these people was, I don't want you to just start with excitement. I want you to finish strong. I love what it says here in Colossians 1. It says, so we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us, we want to present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. Your reference may say, and I know this is one, we're going to two in a minute. Your reference may say mature. Here's what Paul's saying. Everything he's doing to, to encourage, to coach, to challenge these men and women who, like you and I, have challenges and circumstances and feelings and thoughts and resistance and things coming against us to tell us God didn't really say that and this won't work out and it may be true for somebody else, but it's not true for you. Those thoughts, those feelings that we all have. Paul's saying, when I think about you, 
I'm encouraged and I thank God every time I think about you. And when I'm praying for you and thinking about you, I'm not just thinking about you going to a good service, though that's important. I'm not just thinking about a big moment, though that's important. I'm thinking about the end, that you may become perfect. Or in other words, that you might become everything God created you to be. I was talking with Pastor Jeff about this weekend. He said, Jed, you know that verse that you just were planning on preaching, that's on my phone. I've been praying it over our church because when we think about you, every one of you, whether this is your first weekend or you've been with us from the beginning, our prayer for you as a team is let them become everything God created them to be. It's, it's deep into the values of who we are. So look what Paul says now. In chapter 2, he goes a little bit further. You say, well, Jed, that's good. That's good that you have a goal. How does that actually happen? What do you got to do to get there? And I love that Paul gives us an insight into what that means. Look here, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. He says this, so then, just as you received Christ. See, that's the first part. You don't got to get cleaned up. You don't got to get better. A relationship with God, giving your life to Christ, is not about getting your life right so that God will love you because you're righteous. No, no, it's because of God's great love for you before you did what was right, before you loved him, before you did anything for him, he loved you and said, I'm not placing our relationship based on your ability to obey me. I'm gonna love you and receive you first and then your obedience will flow from that. If you've never been to church, if you're wondering what the, what the Christian life is all about, make no mistake, it's simply that. It's not about trying your best to do enough spiritual things so that God will love you. It's about understanding that before you ever could do anything for God, he loved you so much, he received you into his family so that you could love and know him and be with him forever. Just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Couple metaphors he's using in here. Rooted and built up. That word rooted. Now I know this is a little tricky for us in Texas because our trees aren't that big. Uh, but I'm from Washington, the evergreen state, where you have trees all the time, hundreds and hundreds of years old that go really, really high. And the way something goes really high where you can see it is that it goes down deep where you can't see. In the spiritual life, it's the same way. If you want to grow in God, it's not just about getting excited in a moment. It's about letting your trust, your roots, your faith in God go down deep. If you want to be built up high, you've got to go down low. I love what Paul's saying here. Strengthened in the faith. That's not just good for graduates. Not just, that's not just good for new believers. None of us outgrow the need to be rooted if you have a desire to continue to be built up. I don't know about you, but the closer I get to Jesus, the less it's about, man, it was great way back in the day when this happened. It's about, no, how do you become more and more of who God created you to be? Look what he goes on to say. It's not just easy. It doesn't just happen automatically. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. There's resistance. If you want to be rooted and built up, you're going to find opposition. You're going to find resistance. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know if you've ever been taken captive. I never have. There's probably somebody who thought about it. One time, my second grade teacher was so frustrated with me, she taped me to her desk. 
That's a true story. My mom asked me the other day, she says, you always say that. Did that really happen? Yes. Mrs. Gudgel was a very nice lady, but she taped me to my desk. And she was probably in the right because I was a mess. <laughs> but I've never been taken captive. But I was thinking about it this week. I was thinking about the moment where I was most scared in my whole life. And I've been in some dangerous situations, but they weren't the times that I was most scared. There was a time when I was in college when somebody pulled the gun on me and I lived through the riots and I did all these crazy things. The most scared I've ever been in my life was the night I saw the Silence of the Lambs in high school. <laughs> now, it wasn't even the Silence of the Lambs, though that is one of the scariest movies ever and this is not an endorsement. If somebody says, we should watch that movie, don't do it. It'll terrify you. But I grew up in a small town, and so what you do for fun in a small town, you have to make up stuff. So we went to see Silence of the Lambs, and I was freaked out of my mind. I was sure Hannibal Lecter was going to come eat me. Um, but we sat around, and to try, I, I don't know why you do this, but to try to deal with your fear, you just keep talking about it. So we sat around with a bunch of my friends telling every crazy urban legend we've ever heard of as if somehow we exhausted all the scary stories, we'd no longer be afraid. We did all of them. You know the urban legend about the truck that pulls up behind you flashing its high beams and you're like, why is this trucker trying to kill me? And the trucker goes, no, there's a guy with a knife in the back seat and every time I flash my high beams, he went down. I was like, is that real? And somebody's like, dude, I heard. And we didn't have the internet. So no one could tell you it was a lie. We heard every story of crazy killers and this happened and did you hear about this? Seriously, it's true. I was so scared when I left that night. But here's the problem. I was so scared I left that night without realizing one of my friends left about 15 minutes before I did. Maybe even 30 minutes. And I gotta hand it to him. His patience and his commitment to a prank is powerful. <laughs> I was in a small town. You don't lock your car. I went out to my car. It was pitch black. It was in the middle of nowhere. I was freaked out of my mind already. I opened the door to my car. I get in my car. I put on my seatbelt. I'm about to put the key in the car. It's 15, 20 seconds in the car. I'm about to turn the key to the car, and out of the back seat, a body envelops me. I'm going to kill you. Now, I would like to say I turned around and said, that's not that scary. You didn't get me. I made a noise I'm not totally sure was human. <laughs> to this day, I still tell them, man, that was a great prank. I, have to, I mean, I, I hate you for it, but you nailed it. You stuck the landing, right? You saw it all the way through. Here's the point. That's the most scared I've ever been in my life because I wasn't ready. I've been in really dangerous situations in countries or places. But when you're ready, when you're aware, when you're thinking there is an attack that's coming against me, it's amazing how the fear isn't quite as strong and the challenge isn't quite as great. What Paul's saying is don't make the mistake of assuming that life is neutral, that life is going to help you, that your circumstances, that there is no enemy, that that devil stuff isn't real. Don't make the mistake that when you say I'm going to do something great for God, that you won't be met with resistance. Because the moment you forget, the moment you discredit your potential to being taken captive is the moment you become vulnerable. The amazing thing is 
Paul wasn't just speaking in theory. Paul is writing these words from prison on his way to be executed. But because he understood the challenges and the resistance, he wasn't afraid and he found comfort that God was in control. And no matter who took him captive on the outside, he could be free on the inside. And the same is true for you and I. I love how he finishes. Look what he finishes in this passage. He said, for in Christ, all of the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He's the head over every power and authority. Paul is saying this. You can be rooted. You can be built up. You can be strengthened. You can start with the end in mind. You can become everything God has for you. There's going to be resistance. But when that resistance comes, don't forget that your trust, your hope, is the one who in all, in him, all of God's power and fullness dwells, and there's nothing more powerful than him. You say, well, Jeff, that's a good Bible story. That's probably good for Epaphras and his friends in Colossae, and maybe that was good for them, but what does it have to do with us? How does that change how I live on a daily basis? And I think it has a huge impact when we can simplify and understand how it relates to you and I, and so I, I think this little statement, this little summary might help us. Look what this says. God doesn't just want you to start your life in him. He wants you to keep taking steps until you finish everything he has for you no matter where you are today in your relationship with God. Maybe you're new, maybe you don't even have one yet. God's goal and his plan for you is bigger than fire insurance. It's bigger than give your life to Christ so that you don't go to hell. God's plan for you is to become everything he created you to be. Really, here's the simple, another simple way to say it is this. Starting is good, finishing is better. Starting is good. It's great. The first day of school is exciting and it's thrilling. You're finding out all these wonderful things and you're meeting your classmates and teachers and you're learning your schedule and you're figuring out your dorm situation. Those things are exciting. Graduation day, when you finish the race, it's fulfilling. Meeting someone, falling in love, wondering, maybe God, this is the person you're bringing into my life. Man, that's exciting. It's thrilling. When somebody's in love, it's like their feet don't even touch the ground. It's exciting. It's wonderful. But what's fulfilling and life-changing is the day you come down that aisle and you commit in marriage. What a significant moment that is. See, God wants to take you from exciting and thrilling to significant and fulfilling in such a way that it doesn't just change the moment, it changes your life. Here's the other thing we have to be honest about. All of us have things happening. We're all busy. But activity is not the same thing as progress. It's so easy to get busy doing a bunch of stuff. I saw this week in some research that the average person has the information equivalent, think about this, of 174 daily newspapers come their way every day. That's a lot of information. We can think about stuff, we can do stuff, we can get busy, but at the end of the day, just being busy and thinking about stuff and getting caught up in a lot of things and sharing and tweeting and posting is not the same as actually accomplishing something. So what do we do? How do we come to a point where we say, man, I really want to start with the end in mind. Well, before I pray for you, I want to make it really simple. How do we start with the end in mind? Well, the first thing we have to do is we have to start with Jesus. 
Now I know if you've ever been to a message like this, you're going to say, well, of course he's going to say that. He always says start with Jesus. But what does that practically mean? I want to talk to you about it in a minute. But maybe if you don't know, maybe you're saying, well, why would you start with Jesus? Well, it's really simply this. The Christian faith, a life in God is not about an ideology. It's not about joining an organization. It's about a life-changing relationship with a real person. And maybe to make it more practical and helpful, maybe this will help you. I I always love to look at what new words get added to the dictionary, what new phrases. Looking at the phrases added to the dictionary in 2017, one of them caught my eye, a bunch of them caught my eye, but maybe you guys will recognize this one. It brought me back to my high school days. One of the phrases added to the dictionary this year is ride shotgun. If you're in high school, do you remember call shotgun? What does that mean? You get to sit in the the co-pilot seat. Here's the point. Jesus doesn't want to ride shotgun. He doesn't want to ride shotgun. He wants to be first. And our problem is many of us want Jesus. We love Jesus. We like Jesus. We think he's cool. We think he's valuable. But we want him to ride shotgun. Jesus, I'm driving, but you help me get there. You be my navigator. You deal with any challenges. When stuff that I want to do gets in my way, you help me get where I'm trying to go. Jesus doesn't want to ride shotgun. Jesus wants to be first. See, and there are a lot of things that we put first in our life, and a lot of those things are good things. Maybe it's a career plan. Maybe it's a series of goals. Maybe you say, I want to have a great family. I want to have a great business. I want to have a beautiful home. And God's not against goals, but he is against your goals being ahead of Jesus. See, you and I, we fill up our lives. We fill up our lives with to-do lists. Every day, all of us have lots of things on a to-do list. We fill up our lives with a bucket list. You got a bucket list and so do I. I don't know what yours has on it. I got some cool things on it. I might want to cage dive without a cage with a great white shark. I want to look at a a lion. You're like, Jed, put those at the end of your list because you're going to probably die when you do it. That's my list. You worry about your list, right? But here's the thing. You know what my bucket list, where it comes in my priority? comes long after my dashboard with Jesus. You say, Jed, what does that look like practically? Every day, you got to spend time with Jesus every day. So you're like, Jed, okay, I I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how to do that. It's kind of awkward. I don't know how to make small talk with the creator of the universe. He's a big deal. He's Messiah. He's anointed one. He's Christ. He's got all this stuff to do. What's he going to talk to me about? The amazing thing about Jesus is he'll talk to you about every little piece of your life. You wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I'm starting my day. What do you want me to do today? How can I love and honor and serve you? And he'll say things like, do the dishes. He'll say things like, bless your coworker. He'll say things like, you know that person that you see when they're merging in in traffic? Instead of yelling at them, bless them and pray for them. It's amazing how even the little things in our life, if we give him ears, he'll speak to us about what's happening in our lives. The amazing thing is the more you do that with the little things, on your way to a meeting, maybe you're a mom and you're folding clothes or you're running from thing to thing or you're picking up kids, if you stop and say, Jesus, how do I, how do I love my kids better? What would you have me do as I'm on my way to driving, as I'm on my way to do all my busy to-do lists? If you include him in that, it's amazing how he'll speak to you. Now you say, Jed, what in the world does that have to do with anything? If you want to end up where God wants you to go, You've got to start with the one who created the plan. 
See, someday you and I are going to be done. I'm not trying to be morbid or dramatic. This is not one of those classic Baptist moves of like, if you were to die tonight, wouldn't you stand before? That's not what this is. But there is going to come a point where it's going to be over. And you're going to look at Jesus and he's going to say, what'd you do with what I gave you? And here's what I want you to hear. I would so much rather have a full to-do list of things I never got to, have a full bucket list of cool things I never got to experience, than come to Jesus and say, here's all the things I had for you, but because you were so busy with the other stuff, you missed what I created you to do. How do you avoid that? You make that your highest target. You make that your highest priority. When you say, Jesus, you come first. What do you want me to do with my talents, with my gifts, with my career, with my relationships, with my resources, with my energy? The amazing thing is when you put him first, the Bible says not only do you honor him, but everything else your heart desires, he brings to you. you got to start with Jesus. Here's the second thing, and I know it's counterintuitive to give you two starts, but all three are going to be starts. Spoiler alert. And here's the reason why. If we start, it, all three of these things are so similar. And when we figure out how to go to these three things, no matter what we're facing, no matter where we live, no matter what our challenges are, I'm, cons- I'm convinced you're going to learn how to finish. Here's the second one. You've got to start with the Word. You've got to start with the Word. Like, well, Jed, I know we're supposed to read the Bible and we're supposed to learn a bunch of stuff and memorize a bunch of things. That's not why it's so important to read the Word. There's a value in that. But here's why it's so important for you to read your Bible. Every one of us, like Paul's talking about being taken captive, every one of us, the Bible helps you and I to process what we're thinking and what we're feeling. I was listening to a TED Talk this week by a guy named Guy Winch. He's not even a believer, but he wrote this best-selling book called Emotional First Aid. And he said this, he said, all the research says that the people who are emotionally healthy Watch very closely the kinds of things that they think about, the kinds of things that they say to others, and the kinds of things that they say to themselves. It's amazing how that guy sounds really smart because basically he appropriated what the Bible says in Romans 12, that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That What the Bible says in Hebrews 6, that, that the Bible judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart of man. See, we read the Bible not to memorize information, but because our thoughts and our feelings, and in our world today, thoughts and feelings have become basically the same thing. But let me tell you something. Just because you think something doesn't mean you should believe it. Just because you feel something doesn't mean you should do it. And the only way to live above that is to have the Word of God in your life helping you process through what you're thinking and what you're feeling on an everyday basis. You know what's amazing is your mind and my mind, they're crazy. God made our minds so elaborate and intricate. Do you know that God knew this was so important that he figured out a way for people who couldn't even read to memorize and to, and to learn and to recite scripture? Think about this. You're like, Jed, how could that be? Well, there are these things called creeds. Sometimes we sing them, I believe in God the Father. Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth. Those are creeds, historic patterns that people memorized even if they couldn't read and write. You say, well, I'm still not convinced. Think about this. You probably learned the Pledge of Allegiance before you could learn to read or write. 
Why? Because when you're around an environment where something's prioritized, your brain has an incredible capacity to memorize silly stuff. My mom tells me, or my wife and my mom, everybody tells me that all the time. They're like, save the stuff in your brain for things that matter. If you still don't believe me, many of you in this room, all I have to do is say, now this is a story all about how you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, I don't know what that is. If I took the time, I could find something that all of you, silly, frivolous, somehow it got lodged in your brain. Here's my point. Let's be intentional about what we put in our brain. So we read the Bible on a daily basis, and here's the big game changer. See, this idea that somehow the Bible, reading the Bible has become quiet time that you do individually. We don't believe that. you got to read your Bible every day and talk about it. How do you remember things? How do you apply things? How do you really learn things? It's not enough just to read it. you got to talk about it. Talk about it in small group. That's why I encourage every one of you. If you're saying, Jed, I've never done that. Where do I start? You get the Bible. You go to the Gospel of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you really want to get aggressive, you go John and a Proverbs every day. There's 31 days in most months. There's 31 Proverbs. If you want to even go a step further, do a proverb, a psalm, and a, a chapter in the, in the Gospel of John every day. And then get a little book, a little notebook, or a, or a yellow manila pad, or whatever it is, and just start writing stuff down. Every time you have a question, every time you have a thought, every time you have a feeling or a comment, you write it down. And then you take that, and you go to a friend, you go to a roommate, you go to your spouse, you go to your kids, and you say, what do you think the Bible means? You go to your small group. See, if we'll take the time, it's amazing how much information we can process and retain when we prioritize it and say, I'm going to make the commitment to talk about it. You can do this. The question is, is it important enough for you to say, here's where I'm trying to go. I'm going to get there. Which brings us to the last thing. Really, the first two, the only way to do the first two long term is this third one. You start with spiritual family. Spiritual family is this concept of we don't just go to church like you get an oil change. You know, every 3,000 miles you go and you get a little tune-up. No, no. Church is more than just an event that you go to every once in a while. Church is the family of believers that God places you in to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. If you get close to Jesus, if you start with Jesus and you talk to him, you know what he's going to talk to you about? What he loves the most. It's called his wife, which is another name for his church. It's impossible to think I can have this great relationship with Jesus and talk bad all the time about the church. I don't know any husband who will allow you to do that with their wife, much less the creator of the universe. And I'm not trying to be heavy. This is not a hard press. This is not an advertisement for Milestone. But you and I were created for relationship. We try to build family. We try to build community and all kinds of silly stuff. You know, everybody's into fantasy football, including me. What are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to build a community. People build community and they get tattoos over silly stuff like fantasy football. Why? There's a longing and there's an urge in each one of us to be a part of a group of people that we've been supernaturally placed in to know and be known, to serve and be served. God really only promised to build one thing, his church. So you say, okay, Jed, well, what does that look like practically? Will you keep taking steps where God's placed you? We talk about it here all the time. You're saying, well, Jed, what's my first step? Well, the first step would be baptism. In the next couple of weeks, if you've, never been, if you've never been baptized, if you've given your life to Christ, we would be so privileged to celebrate that moment with you. It's coming up June 3rd and 4th. There's the, here's some dates of some things coming up. These are next steps. And listen, 
We are not trying to fill your life with more programs and more activities. We're hoping that you'll take next steps in the place that God has placed you. Last weekend I was in the commons. There they are up there on the screen. I was in the commons and a woman came up to me and she said, Pastor Jed, I already did one-on-one, but I had to leave early and I don't know how to join the church. I don't know really what to do next. Can you help me? And I said, yes, I can help you with that. And she said, this is my friend and she brought me here and and I've only been here for a couple weeks or for a week or two and it feels so big. And I said, well, these steps that we give you are not just busy work, are not just activities. It's how you take a big church and you make it small. It's how you find spiritual family. It's about, it's how you find people who know you and who pray for you and who'll walk with you and who'll encourage you, who'll text you. That's how we're created to live. That's not just for a few people. That's for all of us. We all need encouragement. We all need strengthening. We all need hope, not just from God, not just from the word, but from each other. You know, as I pray for you, I was thinking about this, this week. We're a young church. I mentioned baptisms is one of the primary ways we celebrate. We, we show a video and we say, this is so-and-so, and look at the incredible things that God did in their life. And it's always so powerful, and most weeks I'm down there in t- with tears in my eyes, watching lives be transformed. What an incredible celebration of starting. But because we're a young church, we, we do a lot of that kind of celebrating. But there's another celebration that we do a little bit. We do it sometimes. But as we continue to grow, I think this area of celebration is going to grow. And here's what I'm talking about. It's a celebration of a life well lived. Think about Ron Pease. A couple of years ago, went home to be with Jesus. At that moment, if you were in the room, watching a man wasn't famous He was in the room, you may not have even known him, but for so many, person after person came up and said, Ron loved me, Ron believed in me, Ron cared about me, Ron impacted my family, Ron made a profound difference in my life. If that's important to you, if that's a target, if you say, I wanna live that kind of a life, I may never be famous, I may never hit every career thing, but I'm gonna stand before Jesus And I'm going to say, God, I did everything you asked me to do, and I honored you with my life. If that's important to you, every one of you can make it. If we'll do it together, we want to help you get there. Let's pray. Jesus, we realize starting is good, finishing is better. Lord, we thank you for all the starts in this room. God, you've started new relationships with you. God, you've started dreams of purpose and destiny. God, you've started families and marriages and relationships. God, there are are churches in this room. There are businesses in this room. There are families and grandkids in this room. There are legacies, Lord, that have started in this room. But Lord, I wanna ask that you'd help us to be a people, not just who start well, but who finished strong. Maybe you're here and you say, Jed, I I haven't started yet. I want to know that God that you're talking about. Right where you're at, all you got to do is say, Jesus, I come to you not on the basis of my goodness or my righteousness, but I come out of my love for you. 
right where you're at, you just pray. And if you pray that, I want to ask you, when the service is over, come down and pray with these men and women. But if you're here and you've prayed that prayer and you said, Jed, I, I kind of just live moment to moment. I live event to event. I want to encourage you to begin to press in. Do you do this regularly? Do you start each day with Jesus? Do you start each day with the word? Do you start each day committed to and loving and serving your spiritual family? We can all do this if we'll make it the important target in our life. God, help us to see the value. Help us to live lives of intention. Help us to be the kind of people who finish well and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Milestone Church. We hope it's been an encouragement for you today. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast or discover who we are by visiting our website at milestonechurch.com. 